0: Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life.
1: Enjoy. I'm excited to continue the story of King of Kings that we've been in this series now for three weeks. And if you have been tracking with us, you know that Jesus came to redeem our life But he also came to rule our life. He came to redeem our life. He came, the divine son, became the human Jesus, was born just like you and me, lived a human life with all of the ups and downs and the trials and the tribulations of a human life. He lived it perfectly, showing us the heart of God, died on a cross for the sins of all humankind, and three days later rose from the dead. And that's what we sang about and what we shouted about This morning. So can we do that one more time? Jesus is risen. He is the king of kings. Can we celebrate that in this house today? Otherwise, we have no reason. We have no reason to be here. We should just be at Target shopping, right? But Jesus rose from the dead. And so we gather to say he is our redeemer. He is our rescuer. But not only that, Jesus unapologetically wants to rule our life he says, I, I'm going to redeem you, but, but I also want to lead you. I want to be your king. I want to be your leader. I can lead your life better than you can. And if you will let me, if you will sacrifice and obey and walk with me and be my witnesses, man, I will show you a life that is not pain-free, but is purposeful in the pain. That doesn't, necessarily lacks suffering. In fact, he promises us that we will have times of suffering, but he will bring meaning and ministry in those things. Jesus came to redeem our life, but he also came to rule our life. And so if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm curious about Jesus. I want to say this. He wants to redeem everything about your life, all the brokenness, all those things that hurt, all those things that you've gone through, all the sins, all the sins that were committed by you and against you. He wants to redeem those things, and then he wants to be your king. Whew. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to step into that, but we'll get to that in just a second. First Peter we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter is writing in his the latter part of his life to these churches in, in what we know today as modern Turkey. They are beginning to experience persecution because they believe and follow Jesus. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their friends. They're losing their family. People are like, oh, you're one of those weird Christians. Okay, you can't come to the party. And so, what he does is he writes them this letter and he says, let me help you walk through these things in your life. Let me remind you of the gospel. But he also says something about what Jesus asks of us. In fact, what he commands of us. Remember, he is not just our Redeemer, he's our ruler. He says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Make him the king of your life. And if you do so, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I wanna talk about this today because you and I this week and the next week and the next week after that, we're gonna be in Christmas parties at the office. We're going to be around the table with family and friends that maybe we only get together with once a year. And then after Christmas, we're going to be at a New Year's Eve party with some people. Some people that we know, maybe that we're acquaintances with, maybe that we know really, really well and they're in our friend group. group. But they not only are not believers and followers of Jesus, in some way they're actually hostile to it. Or maybe... Maybe somewhere in between, maybe they're receptive to it, but you don't know how to have a conversation. Well, here's what we see. It says that, that Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer, but do so with gentleness and respect. And then in verse 16, he says this, he says, keeping a clear conscience. Why does he say that? So that those who speak maliciously against you, What? Yes, people will speak maliciously against you, but I'm a believer and follower of Jesus. Yes, and that's exactly why sometimes you are an offense to people. He says, people will speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ. You'll try to live a life that is worthy of the call and worthy of Jesus. Live that way and know that people are gonna speak against you but live so that they may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, when people start saying, hey, you know, I know Billy's a little weird and he he goes to church and I know Sally believes in Jesus and I know Sandra and, you know, but they believe that and that's all good. Here's what I know, man. Whenever they show up at work, man, they are awesome. And and whenever I have something that I'm really struggling with, they just seem to be in the room and want to care about me and, Sometimes they even want to pray for me. I don't believe in what they believe, but, man, they believe it, and I want them around. So, you know, whatever it is that you have against them, maybe you should check yourself. That's what Peter's talking about here, that you would live in such a way that even people who don't believe like us would come to our defense against people who are throwing mud at us. So the question is this. How does this work out? How, how do we get prepared, to always be ready to speak about Jesus to perceptive and receptive people and to do so with gentleness and respect. I, I want to talk about that. and We're going to look at that in the story of the Magi. And then we're going to have Nick and Bethany come up and talk about how they are doing that right now in a culture that is hostile to the gospel and how we can learn from him and they can learn from us. King Jesus, what does he do? He prepares us for something. He prepares us to share the gospel for perceptive and receptive people, for perceptive people who are perceiving what God is doing in their midst and receptive. They're open to it. They're not closed or resistant. They are perceptive and they are receptive without force. I'm not going to force Jesus on you but I'm not going to compromise Jesus in my life. Without force, I'm not going to force Jesus on you, but I'm also not going to compromise Jesus for you. You get what I'm saying? If you don't, hang on, because we'll get into this. Let's talk about how we're not going to do this, okay? Now, um, some of you, you, you've tried this before, and so have I. I think we all have. And that is debating people, right? Debating Jesus to harden hearts. What does it do? It triggers people. And you know it, and I know it. Most of the time, you have that person at work, or you have that person in your family, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, let me. T- I- I'm ready for you now. I'm ready for you. I just watched a few YouTubes, right? And and you know they've been studying up. They've been waiting for the Christmas like for to meet with you because they know you follow Jesus." And they want to debate with you. And every year you've been ready. You've got the latest book, you know, from the latest apologetic author. You throw in some C.S. Lewis and you're debating with them. But what happens is their heart is really just hardened. And so you realize that all you're doing is triggering you and them and everybody else in the room. What about this? We try to prove sometimes. We're proving Jesus to a closed mind. And what does it do? We often just lose influence. We try to prove Jesus. Here's some facts and here's some figures and here's some prophecies fulfilled. But what we don't realize is that their mind is closed. It's not perceptive. It's not receptive. And because of that, what we end up doing instead of winning someone to Jesus, we end up just losing influence altogether. I don't know about you, but man, I've been there. And I've walked away from those situations going, man, if I had just had this and if I had just had that. We try to debate. We try to prove. Here's another thing that I think all of us at some point have tried to do, and that is negotiating Jesus for a bargaining hand. And what does that do at-risk fallacy? Here's what I mean by that. There are people who are like, what's the least I have to do or believe to follow this Jesus that you're all about? Like, what's the least effective commitment level? And what we do instead of saying, well, let me just say this. He wants to redeem your life, but he also wants to rule your life. Instead of us saying that, we're like, well, okay, um, let me negotiate with you. You know, Jesus, you know, he, he, well, I guess you don't really need that and you don't really need that. Let's throw that out. And, and it's like, okay, you know, he just wants to save you from eternity, separated from God and hell. And if you just say this magic prayer, it's all good. What we do when we try to negotiate for bargaining hands is we risk heresy and fallacy and a false gospel. And what we end up handing people is something that's not the gospel at all. I think all of us have been tempted or have been, man, guilty of walking into debating, proving, negotiating Jesus. Here's the problem with this, and this is big. This is big. We cannot humanly convince closed and resistant people to worship King Jesus. You just can't. We've all tried. You've tried, I've tried. You have you have a dad, you have a mom, you have a, a grandpa, you have a, a cousin or an uncle, you have a coworker, you you have somebody uh who, who's gonna go, you know, drive with you to Ohio this week. And, you know, they're going to be in the car. They're going to be a captive audience. And you've tried and I've tried to convince closed and resistant people to worship King Jesus. You tried to debate them, prove it, negotiate. Debate, prove, negotiate. And what ends up happening is we lose influence. We start unnecessary fights. Or we risk not even showing them the gospel at all. It's some cheap grace that they could buy at spiritual Walmart. So what do we see? We're going to see something in the story of Matthew chapter 2 where we can discern the difference between a receptive heart and a resistant heart, an open heart and a closed heart. And then we're going to talk to Nick and Bethany because they're living in a culture that is gospel resistant, and yet the gospel is beginning to thrive in the Middle East. But hang on, we'll get to that in just a second. Matthew chapter 2, let's jump in. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, who's King Herod? There were two King Herods. Um, This one was Herod the Great. But he was really Herod, the really bad dude. Okay. And his son was even worse. But we'll... We'll talk about him another time. Herod, this King Herod, had this really insecure dynasty that he tried to hang on to at all costs. He would kill anybody who came anywhere near to threatening his rule. He even went all the way to Rome to petition Caesar. He's like, they're not respecting me. And Caesar's like, well, make them respect you. And he comes back and he kills a bunch of people, even people in his own family. He's a bad dude. Jesus is born just a few miles from this guy. What does it say? Magi from the east. Let's go back to that. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi from the east. Let's find out who these guys are. Because the Christmas cards that we buy, they call these guys wise men. And that's the very Christmas card version of the wise men. You know, the men in the long robes, and they're carrying the the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. Here's who the magi are. They're from the area known today as Iran, which is ancient Persia. They were stargazers. They were witches and warlocks, y'all. And I'm not being facetious. These guys worshiped pagan gods. All of the sudden, though, this group of magi are looking out at the stars, and either through dreams and visions and revelations from the one true God, they know that whatever prophecies they have compiled from the Jewish scriptures and then the stars that they see a supernova that is leading them, and they go, there's something we need to go to in Jerusalem. There is someone. There is a king we need to meet and worship in Jerusalem. And so these pagan men who worship pagan gods come to the holy city of Jerusalem. And what do they do? It says next and ask, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Who did they ask? Herod. Who says he's the king of the Jews? This is not good. We saw his star. Whose star? His star when it rose and have come to what? To worship him. We don't want to be unclear about who we've come to see And what we've come to do, we've come to see the one-born king of the Jews. Pagan kings show up in the holy city of Jerusalem to see the one-born king of the Jews to worship him. And nobody knows but them. Hmm. Now, here's what we have to know about the rule of the kingdom of God. God lights up his kingdom for people who are ready to receive his divine love and leadership. Right now, in your circle of influence and mine, God is lighting up his kingdom for somebody you know. You don't have to debate him. You don't have to prove Jesus. You don't have to negotiate him down to the least common commitment. They are perceptive of what he is doing and they are receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I bet your life is one of the chief stars that's leading them to Jesus. I don't, I don't want to miss that. I bet your life, your life, your consistency, not your perfect life, but your consistent and faithful life following Jesus, interceding for their behalf, crying out to the Lord for their salvation. All of the sudden, what is happening? God is lighting up his kingdom, and they are ready to receive his love and leadership. Discerning openness. Jesus-ready people will notice and follow signs of his redemption and rule. Let me tell you what it sounds like. Hey, are you doing anything uh, December 23rd or December 24th? You want to come to my church for Christmas? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds cool. Something like that. Or as my friend did a couple weeks ago, we were at a restaurant, and he says, hey, we're getting ready to, to pray over our meal. Is there anything, he says to the server, that you want us to pray for you about? And she says, peace. Pray for peace. And then she sort of backs away. Like, whatever you're about to do, I don't want anything to do, it. but here you go, Peace. At best, and we're going to hear this from the Copes, that was a yellow light, right? 24 hours later, I thought, you know, I'm going to try this too. So I was at a restaurant and I was with a friend and, and the, the server comes over and I say, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Is there anything that we could pray for you? And she says, you could pray for my family. And she goes and unpacks some things that's going on in her family. And, and I said, okay, great. And she says, can I pray with you guys? You see, that's a green light. That's somebody who is perceptive and receptive to the lights that God has turned on. Those people are getting ready to show up in the next two and a half weeks of your life. And if you don't think so, start praying it right now. Start praying it right now. These men were pagans, worshiping pagan gods from the east. And they come to the very city where God's prophets, his priests and his poets and his kings have ruled. And nobody but the pagans want to know where Jesus is. Hmm. When King Herod heard, what happens? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed. He was disturbed, y'all. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they go on to, to unpack some prophecies. So get this again, that the, the religious establishment and the ruling system have no idea at this point that Jesus has been born. And right there, miles away, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Lies in a manger or is at home with his mother and father? Wow. Wow. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. Discerning resistance. Let's discern some resistance. Complacent religion and corrupted systems will often seem threatened by King Jesus' redemption and rule. Complacent religion. We live in a very religious culture. This is not other parts of the country. It is not uncommon for people to have grown up with some variation or version of what may be called a religion about Jesus that has nothing to do with the gospel. It goes through the motions, and maybe you, like me at times in my life, have been a part of this, or, and/or, corrupted systems see, Herod was the corrupted system. And you know what? They will often seem threatened by, the king, by king Jesus' redemption and rule. I'm going to tell you something. Pastoring for 25 years in this church, I get far more criticism from this group than the pagans. The pagans are like, oh, wow, you do that for me? Tell me more. But the complacent religious people, the complacent are threatened whenever we start walking in the power and the presence that the gospel brings, the redemption and the rule. You see, the chief priests who were reading the very prophecies didn't notice a giant supernova in the sky saying, God's Son has been born among you. I wonder how many seasons it would take our church to be this. How many seasons? Let me tell you what it's just one season of us trying to control the Holy Spirit. Just one. Holy Spirit, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if we want to do that. That's just a little uncomfortable for me, Holy Spirit. I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to operate like that. What will the other r- religious people think of me if I start praying over people in a restaurant? They might think I'm a little kooky and weird. Yeah, they probably will. What happens when we are a church that says, we actually do believe that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, wants to heal people, that he wants his church to operate in power in signs and wonders, that he wants moments to move us and disciplines to mature us, which is more important, a moment or a discipline, yes, 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 but I'm scared of those moments, they make me cry sometimes and I'm a grown man, oh, yes. Yes, I, I stand up sometimes and, and they're teaching me how to praise the Lord with song. And sometimes I, I get a little emotional and the preacher sometimes calls me down to the front to repent of sin. And I don't know what to do with that. You know what we do with that? We obey the Holy Spirit and forget about what the neighbors are gonna think. And we walk in this, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Listen, listen, we are, we, we are just one season away, one season away from trying to control the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit. What will the other denominations think of us? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit for them. And I don't serve and lead every church. It's not my responsibility, nor is it yours. We are responsible for the house of Waymaker Church for as long as we are responsible. Hmm. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Oh, here we go. Secret meeting. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully. For the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too, hmm, that I too may go and worship him. That I too may go kill him. I mean, worship him. Did did I say that out loud? Hmm. Discerning resistance to King Jesus, the complacent and corrupt seek to destroy King Jesus' redemption and rule. Man, we live in some strange times, don't we? We see it shifting, right? We see things shifting. We see what maybe our parents and grandparents grew up, the North American culture that, we, that they grew up in is, is different than, than today. We see political and social divisiveness at a fever pitch. The most streamed movie trailer of the last weekend was Civil War which is a present-future dystopia where America goes to civil war once again in modern times. Huh, I wonder why so many people were interested in that. We see a statue of Satan outside of a Midwestern courthouse. We see the report that the owners and operators of Pornhub let their scheme out into the open, that they're not just trying to rake in billions of dollars from, quote, adult entertainment. They actually want to shift the culture and confuse the sexes. They want men to desire other things. Whew. Man, oh, man. We live in some dynamic times, and some of us would be tempted to be afraid and fearful. Oh, no, the, the, the culture that my parents and grandparents grew in grew up in is shifting and changing. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means for us. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ and do so with gentleness and respect. It's the same. It's the same. After this, it says, They had heard the king. They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. It stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. These were men worshiping pagan gods who had dreams and visions and scraps of prophecies from Jewish uh, scriptures and followed a star hundreds, maybe thousands of miles to this place where a star showed them this child, and they bowed and worshiped him. These were not the complacent and the corrupt of the day. Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're talking expensive sacrifices, discerning openness to King Jesus. How do we know if somebody's open to King Jesus? They worship and sacrifice to King Jesus, and they confirm his redemption and rule in their heart. If you want to know if someone has gone all in with King Jesus, look at their worship and their sacrifice. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. Jesus wants our adoration and our affection. He's unapologetic about saying, if you don't shout, the rocks will. If you don't sing out, who?" Man, and I think you and I know that there is something about sacrifice and saying, Jesus, my time, my energy, my resources, none of it is mine. It's all yours. You can have it all. You can have it all. Just like these these magi coming into the room and saying, we bow and worship and we sacrifice, we give to you. And having been warned, listen to this. Having been warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they were warned in a dream. God yet again gave them visions and dreams. They returned to their country by another route. They returned to their country another route. They came one way and they left another. They came through one corrupt king, but they bowed and worshipped a true king. Oh, come on. And what would happen if there was a church that figuratively or maybe literally God puts a star above in anyone who is perceptive and receptive to God's rule? They would say, I came here and I saw King Jesus among these people. He has redeemed them and he rules over them and I want to worship him too. Come on. And I want to worship him too. And I want my, I want to give my life. Listen, God downloads or uploads, however you want to look at it. Dreams and visions to those who worship and sacrifice to King Jesus. He gets dreams and visions, and I believe that even today some of you are going to have dreams and visions. I'm going to ask Nick and Bethany if they'll come join me up here. Um, Nick and Bethany Cope, they are our missionaries in the Middle East, and they're going to come up here and share with us some things that that God has been doing. And, man, uh, just hearing what we heard in the the first service was pretty powerful. Hey, thanks, guys. Yes. Have a seat. Have a seat. Um, Good morning. There you go. There you go. Um, So, tell us a little bit about um, how what we're talking about really interplays with what you guys are doing in the Middle East right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Good morning. It's so good to be back. Um, Our heart, really, being in the Middle East, is to keep our hands open. God, what is it you're doing? Where is it you're working? Um, Our goal is to see the kingdom spread, to see Disciples being made, churches being planted. And so it's having that posture of let's share the gospel wherever we go and look for those people who are the hardened hearts, but who are those ones who are receptive, perceptive, who are maybe they don't even know it, but they're searching. Um, and there's a few different ways we kind of go about that. Um, maybe share a little bit. Yeah, one of
1: the I, <laughs> I think you're, I think Hello. you're, yeah. oh. there it is. Oh. <laughs>
2: Thank you. One of the things that we always say is that we're looking for uh, persons of peace or homes of peace. And so we look for people who are open to us, that welcome us in, and are open to the message, that are open to listening to what God, um, God, what God's word says, and that are willing to open their relationships, that want to invite others into that. And then, yeah.
0: Yeah, so as you were kind of mentioning in the, in the uh, service, we kind of go by these red light, green light, yellow lights, kind of like a stoplight. Most people are like this. You can kind of fit them in that grid. You've got the red lights. A lot of times they're pretty obvious. You know, in our, in our uh, you know, area, you might have a Muslim hardliner, you know, the big big beard, you know, the robe, the whole get up, and uh, not too pleasant to be around. You start to share and, you know, you kind of get the door. So that's pretty obvious. All right. Good luck. You know, God bless you, bro. Love you. You know, maybe we'll come back. Uh, next decade, and you know, share the gospel again. Um, <laughs> then you get the red light or the, the yellow lights, and those people, you know, they're, they're interested. They might not be, you know, craving to hear the gospel, but they're saying, Hey, my, my door's open. Come on, I'm willing to hear. And then you have the green lights where they're saying, Yes, please share more. I've been, many of them even saying, I've been wanting to hear about this for a long time.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important uh, to share Muhammad's story. Um, I mean, I think this is a fascinating story about how God used a dream. And I don't want to tell any more. I want you to tell the story. But I think, I think and even thinking in decades, and, and that's, a, that's a term we use here, think in decades, not in days, um, because it's so important. Uh, talk a little bit about his story.
0: Sure. And you're right. A lot of times God is preparing these people uh, for years, so there's a guy named Muhammad. I've been walking with him in discipleship in this last season. That's a very odd name in the Middle East. Yeah, I, I never heard anybody. This N- is the never, only okay, guy I heard. Yes, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> usually Daddy, every Daddy, other guy okay. named Muhammad. Anyway, so we're, I've been walking in discipleship with this guy for the last season. And from a Shia background, uh, in an area that is very, um, it just it's just well known for all sorts of things. Carjacking, theft, arms dealing, drug trafficking. Uh, killing, all sorts of stuff. Um, It's ruled by a a well-known terrorism organization that you've probably heard of. Um, Anyway, so 20 years ago, Muhammad, uh, and he's really well-known in his community, by the way. He has this abscess on his side and tremendous, excruciating pain. And so he's scheduled for surgery the, the the, the next day. Well, during that night, Muhammad has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a man come down from heaven... And he touches him on the side and he says, you're gonna be healed physically and spiritually. And so Muhammad's thinking, and he asks in the dream, well, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And in the dream, he's healed in the dream. But the next morning he wakes up, this abscess is totally gone. He's pain-free and completely healed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's powerful.
0: Amazing. And then so he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, what's going on with you, bro? Habibi, you know, as they yes. say. Um, and he's completely healed. No need for surgery, right? This is 20 years ago. But the thing is, nobody uh, shared the gospel with Muhammad even after this. So he has this dream, but he doesn't know what to do with it. There's this Jesus guy. There's no access to the gospel. Uh, no one in the, his area who can even share Jesus with them. So, so si-
1: he lives his life knowing he had this healing and this dream, but... No, nobody in his, in his township shares the gospel with him. Right. He
0: goes about his life, you know. He was a kind of a drug lord and involved in murder and all sorts of things. Uh, a very interesting story, this guy. Um, anyway, so he's going on for 17 years. Just, you know, I had this dream, pretty crazy. I don't know what to do with it. And then three years ago, uh, Muhammad is sitting at his house, and he hears, uh, and he told me this story. He's like, I heard clearly God tell me, Someone today is going to come to your house and tell you about me. So Muhammad's sitting outside of his house, and he's waiting. Well, at that same time, and this is, you can't make this stuff up. This Swiss guy from Switzerland, he comes in to our country, and he gets a rental car from the major city where the airport is, and he's going on to visit some friends in this same area Muhammad's in. So he gets the rental car, he goes off, But this area is not a tourist area. It's not where foreigners normally go. It's actually well-known for car theft, as I said. So the car company, the rental car company, which I didn't even know they could do this, they see the car is going into this area where all the car theft happens, and they think it's stolen. So they shut off the car remotely. And here the Swiss guy putters in right in front of Mohammed's house. Doop. And the Swiss guy gets out. Muhammad can't speak English, Swiss guy can't speak Arabic, he's a believer. And so they run and go get a, uh, a translator in the village, he comes, Muhammad comes to faith immediately, and that week gets baptized, and then in, in the, previ- the post three years after that, he has baptized dozens and dozens and
1: dozens of others in his villages. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing, we hear that in, in and, and through North American eyes, we think oh that's that 's the Middle East, but the reality is this god is God is putting dreams and visions on your family members and friends and coworkers, and He is getting ready to put your life right in the path of their life in the next two weeks, and you will be ready just like this this guy was ready to just say, okay, I'm gonna share the gospel with you. And I love that because it's the context, not of some foreign place. It's the context of the kingdom of God right here and right now. That's powerful. Um, talk about, uh, Bethany, if you would, just how you're seeing the gospel through through the church even, um, how how it's beginning to spread in the Middle East, especially where you guys are.
2: Yeah, we see, I mean, an openness and a receptiveness to the gospel that we haven't seen before. And obviously, there are still a lot of hardened hearts, but we have seen that even through um, war and through even the current situation and just people um, suffering, really, that they are opening to the gospel. And we have seen the Lord work in those ways and that he is using these hardships. Um, Even Nick was sharing in the first service about in Syria, we have lots of friends that were workers in Syria before the war, and they could maybe count on one hand the number of believers. But since the war and since the things that have happened, they have come into other countries, and they've, there's been an openness to the gospel through their suffering. Hundreds of thousands of Syrians are now in the kingdom. It's unprecedented what That's has powerful. happened. That's
1: powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Well, and,
0: and I'll add to that, even in the current situation, and there's lots of thinking right about what's going on with Israel and Hamas. I just got word from some friends of mine who told me some news and people are going into Gaza and they're sharing the gospel and they're working with the love of Jesus. And so there's a group of men that these guys have been working uh, working uh, with and ministering to have lost their families, their uh, houses. And in one night, just I think this was a couple weeks ago, after these, these people were sharing the love of Christ, in one night, 200 men had the exact same dream of Jesus. Wow. In Gaza. This is in Gaza. This yeah. is in Gaza. Yeah. And they, they go to this guy the next day, and they all say, look, we had the same dream about Jesus. What do we do? And so, boom, gospel. And so you're seeing lots of people even in Gaza coming to faith.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting how God will use anything, anything, Because preaching the word, you can't do it necessarily on the streets there. So God's like, okay, I'll preach in in the imaginations and the minds of sleeping men. That's that's how much God is on the move. I mean, that he would explode a star in the atmosphere 2,000 years ago so that pagan men would find King Jesus and that he would send uh, to 200 men in Gaza right now that is at the attention of the world. And there's a man there ready to say, Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the king of kings. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, let's talk about that for a second. How do you as a Christian, right there in the hub of all of that, how do you, you, you work with Arabs, you work with Jews, uh, and, you know, all the people sort of in, in the mix of all that. How do, you, how do you, I guess, wrestle that out yourself? And then how do you minister in the midst of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Uh, and like Bethany was saying, we've seen God works. He works in the hardship and the suffering. And so rather than saying, oh, man, this is hard, let's, you know, throw a pity party or something, which sometimes you do want to do, um, you say, what is God doing? Where is he moving? Who is he working with? And you're often seeing in these types of situations, people are looking up. It's in these hard Uh, situations of war and terror and trauma that people are looking up. And so it gives us the opportunity, when we're ready for it, to share the gospel with them. And so we're trying to, as best as we can, have our hands open. What is it you're doing? And then I always use this kind of army tool belt belt analogy of how can I be prepared uh, to share the love of Christ? Not only, uh, yes, of course, with my actions, but also with my words. How am I proclaiming the gospel whether it's through my testimony, whether it's through stories of Jesus and stories of hope, uh, whether it's through a full gospel gospel presentation or whatnot. And so we're just trying to look for those opportunities. And then when we get them, seize them, you know?
2: I think also for me, it's tricky. I'm just going to be really honest. It's really tricky. It's tricky to be an American right now where we live. Um, But ultimately remembering that my citizenship is in heaven, right? That that is where our ultimate citizenship lies. And seeing... There are image bearers on all sides of this. There are image bearers who don't know Jesus on all sides of it. Um, And that's something that we've tried a lot to focus on. And how can we pray and love and pray the kingdom in to these really broken places right now? Mm.
0: So good. Go ahead. Yeah, it's certainly tragic what's happening from all sides. But we know, like he did in the war in Syria, we know God's up to something. And so we're just trying to come alongside that and say, God, what are you doing and no matter what, I'm going to love these people. Um, even if I don't agree with everything they stand for, that's okay. that's okay. I'm going to love them, mm-hmm. share the gospel with them, see what happens.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I think it, it's not a mistake that God chose pagan uh, magi, you know, to, to to show us what happens when somebody instantly worships and sacrifices to King Jesus. And, of course, they didn't know that he was the third person of the Trinity at the time. All they knew was that he was the Messiah. And they, and they was like, okay, here we go. This is what we, we need to do. And and I would just say, you know, as sort of we're, we're gonna, we we want to pray for you guys and pray over you guys. But here you are back in the States, and here you are in the church where you guys were in college. And, you know, where you guys – did you guys meet at college or did you meet? Yeah, Okay. Yeah, um, went down the road. Yes, and and you're here and what would you impart to people who are going to maybe they're not even praying for lost people in their life. You know, maybe, maybe they're just like they're just uh, you know what? I I I, I don't want to debate, I don't want to prove, I don't want to negotiate, so I'm just not going to do anything. Or somebody who may be trying to debate, prove and, and negotiate. Jesus. What would you say to anybody here who's somewhere in the, in, those, in those places?
2: Um, it's not a mistake where you are, wherever God put you, in your family, in your work, in your community, your neighbors. He has put you there specifically. And I believe with my whole heart that he wants to use you there and that he has great plans for you and that you get to be light in darkness. And I think that there can be this, like, idea of, like, oh, well, we're in Lynchburg. Somebody will share with them. But you don't know that. Maybe you are the person that God has put in their life to pray for them, to love them, to share with them. So, yeah, I would just challenge you to um, open hands, open heart, and just even just spending time in prayer, listening. Lord, who is it that you have put me specifically in their life for? And how can I love and serve and pray for them and share with them?
1: Yeah, that's good. I'm going to ask Waymaker Worship if they'll, they'll come out because we're going to respond and we're going to pray for you guys. But, Nick, any parting words, uh, you know, for, for our church?
0: Yeah, the one thing that comes to my mind is a guy like Muhammad. He's sitting there for 17 years. God had been working in his heart, and no one shared with him. And I, I can only imagine in Lynchburg, Forest, around these re- there's people like that. They might not have had some crazy dream and healing or whatnot, but they're around you. They're in your uh, families. They're in your places of work. Um, and it just, and you don't have to be some expert sharer of the gospel. We're not, you know. Um, but what does it look like just to love on them, just to see and be aware of them around you? And there's only one way to find out if they're going to be receptive, and that's to love on them and share with them. And it doesn't have to be a pound it in their face, but a loving, let me tell you what God has done in my life. And oftentimes people will lean into that. And I I believe God will do that here too. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.